Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. We've got a fantastic show for you this week because not only do we have an interview with Rob Solomon, the chief executive of GoFundMe, but I also got to meet a guy called Mark Zuckerberg, who you may have heard of before. He's the founder and chief executive of a website called Facebook. But before we get to Mark, I had a chance to catch up with Mark Solomon, who is the chief executive of the biggest fundraising website in the world, GoFundMe. And Rob, thanks a million for talking to me today. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Listen, we'll just run through a few of uh, what GoFundMe does and, and it, it, your experience in Ireland here. So apparently more Irish people per capita donate through GoFundMe than any other country. Is that right? That's right. We've seen that one in 10 folks in Ireland have already given to a GoFundMe campaign. Mm. That's happened very quickly. So from a per capita perspective, we're seeing that the Irish are a very generous uh, people. Mm. Um, And I I think the figure is somewhere around half a million people here have donated to causes uh, through the site, uh, contributing to more than 30 million euros since 2016. Um, Why do you think this has taken off so much? Well, I think on a global basis, GoFundMe's become the take action button of the internet. When things happen locally, when they happen globally, when there's an emergency or disaster or somebody needs to save a business that that, uh, may be being pushed out by rents that are too high, uh, from everything in between, we're seeing people coming together as a community to raise money when other people need help. Mm. And in Ireland, we're finding that, you know, it's a small population. It's very closely knit, community driven um, um, population. And, you know, the news media is very powerful in Ireland. So I think these stories are resonating incredibly well and they're being shared across social media and across all of the big news outlets in Ireland. And that all conspires to create a, a perfect storm of making it really easy to start a GoFundMe campaign. People very quickly adopted the platform in Ireland quicker than any other um, nation that we've seen. So that that's kind of the, the mix of things that are happening. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's impossible to ignore some of the campaigns that have sprung up. Any football fans out there will have known, will have, be aware of the campaign for Sean Cox, the Liverpool fan who was attacked by Roma uh, supporters. And I think that has raised over €1 million Euro so far in terms of a fund to, to help with his medical expenses. Um, from what I can see looking through the campaigns, an awful lot of them relate to either sickness or medical costs or even death, funeral expenses or, and memorial funds. Uh, is there something we should read into that as a, as a society? I mean, is, is, is that a positive thing or, or does it say something unfortunate about us that, that we have to fundraise in that way? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a very positive thing. I, I think people are innately good. They, they really want to help each other out. You know, there's there's a lot of negativity in the news nowadays. A lot of negative information is shared on the Internet um, much more broadly and much more quickly than ever possible. And I like to think of GoFundMe as an antidote to the bad news out there, to the um, realities of life. We're, we're also a bit of a mirror of life. You know, many people are working hard and they're trying to make ends meet and they're, they're, they're trying to survive and it's harder and harder. Um, and you know, there are systems in place that help people out when they need help. And oftentimes people around the world are falling through the cracks and it's up to the community to help them. You know, you want there to be a perfect system where the government is there to help you. You want to have support from NGOs, uh, but that's not always the case. And when there isn't somebody to help, that's when communities of people come together. So I think it's a, a reflection of the realities of life. Life hits you hard sometimes, and when you have nowhere else to turn, it's amazing that you can turn to your community, your friends, family, the local community, and then sometimes these campaigns go, go global. So in the example of the Sean Cox campaign, you know, footballers, famous footballers from around the world were, were supporting this campaign. Mm. Donations poured in from around the world. So it's really a, a magical testament to the connectedness of people and the willingness of people to help each other out. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the Sean Cox campaign. I'm, uh, I'm aware of famous footballers like Seamus Coleman, who plays for the team that is arguably Liverpool's biggest rival, uh, Everton, cross town, supporting, I think he's donated €10,000 on more than one occasion to that campaign. So you're right that it does... Uh, it has struck a nerve um, with people. I suppose one of the questions you're often answered is how do you monitor the, the you know, the, the authenticity of campaigns and how do you know when a scam is in, is in the making? So the, 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 the place we start is with a zero tolerance uh, policy towards any kind of misuse on the platform. And then we backed that up with this amazing team that we call the Trust and Safety Team. And the Trust and Safety Team is made up of technologists, uh, people with law enforcement and military backgrounds, uh, deep knowledge of, of, about how to spot uh, misuse on, on platforms like ours. And, 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 and we leverage technology that's similar to what financial services, institutions and banks use. And then the ultimate thing that we do is we back it all up with the GoFundMe guarantee. And the GoFundMe guarantee will guarantee uh, any donation made on the platform if the monies raised don't go to the right uh, person or the right cause. So everyone's protected on the platform. And the other thing to know, back to that uh, notion of people are good, you know, less than one-tenth of one percent of the campaigns on our platform result in any type of misuse. And we literally have hundreds of thousands of campaigns on a monthly basis. So you know, the bad guys know that this is a platform where we take this very seriously. We invest lots of time and money and technology into keeping 
any kind of misuse off of the platform. And it's the most important thing that we focus on. You know, probably a third of the staff at GoFundMe are focused on keeping the platform completely safe. A less clear line is sometimes drawn between what might be a reasonable and unreasonable campaign, not in terms of a scam, but in terms of what it's trying to promote. I mean, a quick search you know, through the internet will surface issues and challenges that GoFundMe has had with relation to campaigns such as anti-vaxxing, for example. I understand that recently, for example, GoFundMe has stopped allowing anti-vax uh, campaigns uh, to, uh, to to work on the site. But so is it a judgment call sometimes in terms of what type of campaigns, particularly when it strays into that political campaigning uh, area? Yeah, so so one of the things that we have is a, a terms of service. And the terms of service is, is, is pretty straightforward and very clear. You, know, you can't raise funds for anything having to do with hate, uh, you can't raise funds to purchase weapons. Um, there's a, there's a clear set of guidelines mm-hmm. and then there certainly is some gray area. And, and our philosophy at GoFundMe is to not be the arbiter of whether a cause is a good cause or a bad cause. We want the communities of people who are starting campaigns and those people who are donating the campaigns to ultimately decide whether they want to donate or not. So you'll see different um, sides of political issues raising funds on, on GoFundMe. And we don't want to take a stance as to whether we're left mm-hmm. or right, progressive or conservative. We want to be as open as possible so long as you don't violate the terms of service. And then it's up to the communities of donors who decide whether a, a campaign is something that is worthy or not. So in the example that I raised there in terms of the, uh, the anti-vax uh, movement, if you if you want, um, is it the case then in that instance that it's actually a, a matter of fact, a decision of fact that is made that that, you know, that, that campaign is misinformation and therefore it, it can't appear? Or, or, or is that a judgment call? No, so, so, so there's an evolution too, right? So, so in, in, our, in, in the U.S., the anti-vax movement has been around for a long time. You know, it's gotten to the point now where legislation is being introduced. The Surgeon General and, and many others are talking about mm. the misinformation that's being spread. So we'll evolve our terms of service and and change things and, and you know, make, make, make big changes like the anti-vax um, prohibition based on the realities of what's happening. So, you know, that, that's an example of us following um, what's happening with regulators and legislation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we always want everything on the platform to be legal and we want it to be based on fact. And there's a lot of misinformation being spread with anti-vaxxing and mm-hmm. it is a huge public health risk. And, mm-hmm. you know, we want to make sure that we're evolving and, and staying ahead of the curve on, on important issues like that. Sure. Um, there have been other examples as well, more overtly political uh, campaigns that, you know, have been allowed. There was one, I believe, where um, supporters of Donald Trump's infamous wall raised several million dollars to help, you know, kickstart the building of the wall. And then I think uh, on the other side of the aisle, a bunch of people raised money for ladders that would get over that wall. Um, so um, I suppose there isn't an awful lot you can do to stop or to, to get involved in political campaigns, is there? You know, we, we back to the premise of being an open platform, we actually welcome the dialogue um, where, where, where there's um, complicated issues, where there isn't agreement. Um, again, you know, we may not agree with certain political stances or political campaigns as a company. I may not agree with the, the wall campaign, 
But I do want our platform to be an open place where different points of view can be discussed, debated, monies can be raised for those things. And, you know, so long as you're not violating the terms of service, we are okay with, with these different points of view on the platform. You know, there's a really interesting one that, that just happened in San Francisco. There was a group of people who are raising money to block the building of a homeless shelter in a, in a wealthy neighborhood in San Francisco. And, you know, the homeless problem in San Francisco has become unbearable in, oh, yeah. in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a counter campaign was started to support uh, different charities and, 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 it, um, and movements on the homeless side. And it's really great to have that, that, that ability to, to um, have, have both sides of an issue mm -hmm. uh, living on the platform. It, it, it's really healthy. It's, it's part of the democratic process. And, you know, I, I, I love the fact that we do have um, divergent points of view and, and, you know, we'll have conservative and political and progress, uh, conservative and liberal and progressive. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we're not a progressive fundraising platform. We're not a conservative fundraising platform. But for those people who have those beliefs, we're a social fundraising platform. That's the most efficient and effective way to raise funds. Mm -hmm. Now, last year, Rob, I think GoFundMe moved from taking a, an automatic cut of what was raised into a donation model where somebody who is donating can choose to donate 5% or 10% or whatever they want. Um, do you find that most people do leave a tip that way? So we, we, we made a big change to our business model. Um, previously, as you mentioned, we would receive a 5% cut of mm. all funds raised. We then you know, talked to our fundraisers, we talked to our donors, and we realized that they really wanted all the monies that they donated, all the monies raised to go to the cause. And we came up with this innovative model of allowing people to voluntarily tip or not. And it's allowed us to continue to expand the platform. It's allowed us to invest in our trust and safety teams. It's allowed us to um, continue to, to move into multiple countries across Europe. Um, so, you know, it's a very viable business model and it's allowed us to continue to do the things that we need to do to support the platform and to promote the brand and, and to protect the brand. And do most people leave a tip or do most people just walk away having donated to the cause without actually um, leave, left anything else for GoFundMe? It's a really good mix. I think, I, think, I think there's a lot of genuine, amazing sentiment around the GoFundMe brand. And I think people love the fact that GoFundMe is there to help people out in their, their, their times of need. So we get a lot of support from our donor community and they, they, a lot of people do leave tips behind. And certainly some people don't. Okay. Uh, and in Ireland, are we generous that way? Do we, do we support the platform or, or do we just uh, freeload off it? No, no, um, big supporters of the platform. And, 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 and to be honest, it's almost universal, um, regardless of the country, that you know, a lot of people leave tips to support the platform. Hmm. I mean, had, had you not done that, you were already starting to see, you know, a few cynics pop up online saying, oh, you know, it's another fundraising platform that's just profiting off people arguing or profiting off people trying to raise money for, you know, their funeral fees uh, or whatever. I mean, did that play any part in, in changing the business model? You know, I, I think the main reason we changed the business model was to get as much money as possible to the fundraisers. I mean, our, our, one of our, our goals is to be the most efficient and most effective fundraising platform in the world, online or offline. And, you know, it's important that we provide a lot of service. Um, you know, the, the tipping model allows us to invest in the teams of people who help make these fundraisers more effective. 
and there's always going to be detractors. There's always going to people, or there's always going to be people who say, "How can you have a for-profit business when you're in this uh, space of helping people out?" And my argument to that is, you know, we have the best and brightest artificial intelligence and machine learning experts who are part of our, our trust and safety team. You know, we've become the one of the world's largest giving platforms in a very short amount of time by building, you know, what, what a typical consumer internet company builds in terms of virality and, and protection. So, you know, you really have to be a for-profit if you want to change the game in the giving space. And we think that we're a, a very positive force of good. And we think it's okay to do well while doing good. You know, a lot of corporations haven't provided social impact um, to, to their communities. And that's changing pretty dramatically. I think over the next decade, you're going to see a, a huge movement and a huge change around that. And we'd like to think that we're going to be one of the pioneers, one of the revolutionaries in that in that movement towards companies that are in the for-profit for uh, um, sector doing well while doing good and providing meaningful, truly meaningful social impact. I think there's a lot of lip service played to companies driving social impact, and we want to be the best company in the world at for driving social impact. What's the wackiest campaign you've seen so far? They get pretty fun and, and interesting. Oftentimes you'll see communities of people coming together when the manager of a football team um, in Europe or, or the manager of a baseball team in North America is, is falling out of favor with fans. People will raise money to buy out the contract of, of, of those uh, people. And th those are really fun because, you know, you can't really raise enough money to buy out the contract, but it's a great social statement. And it gets the community of, of people banding together to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to, we need to make a change here. So those are really fun and interesting. You know, there was a, a crazy campaign where Kanye West a few years ago tweeted out uh, um, or, or, or posted a, a, something on Facebook about needing a $50 million, 50, yeah, $50 million loan from Mark Zuckerberg. And somebody started a campaign to, to get Kanye out of debt. And it started actually raising money. And we worked with the campaign organizer to um, take the funds raised and make the donation to a great charity. So mm -hmm. you see all sorts of uh, fun and interesting and crazy stuff on the platform. I mean, it's a good question. And we're, we're, I think we might finish up with this. But in the an example, for example, where someone tries to raise money to buy the contract of a manager or, or something like that, and it raises some money, maybe only a few thousand euro or whatever, what generally happens then to those funds? I mean, is it understood when you're donating to that that, look, you know, you are donating to to the to the person who's running this fund, and you know, your twenty euro, they are going to control it, and they may not succeed in buying out the contract of Jose Mourinho, whoever whoever it is, but that they will essentially control that money in the end. Yeah. So, so one of the basic tenets of the GoFundMe platform is transparency and. Mm -hmm. We, we, we need you as a, the campaign organizer to explain what you're raising money for, who the beneficiary of those funds will be. So in the case of, of, of uh, buying out a football manager's contract, if we can't actually raise enough money or we can't get the money to the organization to buy out his contract, we'll talk to the campaign organizer and we'll, we'll have them make updates. We'll convince them that, hey, you've done a nice job here of, of, of uh, getting awareness for your cause. Why don't we have the funds donated to a great charity, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that, that's primarily what will happen. Mm -hmm. We'll convince people to make a charitable donation and they'll update their audience and, and the people will have the choice whether to support that or to seek a refund. So back to the GoFundMe guarantee, if you make a 20 euro donation to buying out the contract and that contract's not going to be bought out, 
you'll you're you're subject to a refund. So we won't ah. let the money ever leave the building until we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're completely protected, and you know it, it it's almost always the case that those funds will be channeled in a very positive direction and most of the people will actually continue to support it um you know though you're not buying out the manager's mm-hmm. uh contract the funds are going to a great charity and, and people typically will do that so that's really um you know what happens in those cases but but it, it, it all it, it all boils around this notion of transparency and until we know exactly where the funds are going they don't actually leave our accounts and go into the accounts of the uh, fundraiser or the beneficiary of the fund the fundraiser well, I think that's cleared it up for me anyway. Listen, Rob, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciated you having on and uh, uh, explaining to us exactly how the system works. So um, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Hey, hey um, I noticed that you're a big Lebowski fan. I don't know if you knew about this, um, but the original uh, man who inspired the, the character of uh, Big mm-hmm. Lebowski actually has a, a GoFundMe um, on the platform now. He's he's fallen ill recently, and his name is Jeff Dowd. Oh and, no! Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll send over a link to uh, this campaign. It's, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, you never know what's going to show up on the platform. Listen to all the listeners of this podcast. I'm going to share this link as well. I'm going to check it out first. But if it's legit, and I believe Rob that it is legit. Oh, it is. You know what to do. You know what to do. Listen, thank you very much, Rob Solomon, right. Chief Executive of GoFundMe. Thanks, Adrian. Now, earlier this week, I had the chance to meet and talk to Mark Zuckerberg. You might have heard of him. He's the Chief Executive and Founder of a little website called Facebook, who also happens to own Instagram and WhatsApp as well. And he was in Dublin to talk to politicians, to try and influence policy, and generally to do a meet and greet with some of the 4,000 employees that are in Facebook. We got to sit down, uh, that's not to say me exclusively, a couple of journalists got to sit down with him, and we were pretty restricted in what we were allowed to ask and what he was willing to say on the record. He started out by responding to the question of whether Facebook should be making all of the decisions as to what goes on its own platform. I think we're reaching the point where it's it's not clear to, to a lot of people around the world, and, and I agree with them, that we should be making all of these decisions ourselves or that we want any, any private company to be making so many decisions about speech. Uh, same thing in the, in the political uh, advertising realm in terms of what, what uh, basically what represents political speech, uh, how we want that regulated. There are things that we can be doing to, uh, to, to prevent the kind of election interference that we've seen. Uh, we just announced a number of steps, for example, bringing the full battery of, of tools that we've developed to, to the EU elections that are coming up, um, verifying the identities of every advertiser who's running political ads, uh, you know, verifying the identity with a government ID of anyone running a large page, having a, a, a public archive of all the political ads, so that way anyone can go look at and search for uh, anyone who's run a political ad, who they are, what they're, um, how, how much they paid, who they're targeting, who saw the ad. Um, these are important steps. Uh, but at some level, I, I guess I think that people don't want a private company to be deciding what is political speech and, and what isn't. Uh, it, it, it seems like these are broader democratic questions that uh, having 
regulation or legislation or, or more government uh, involvement in defining what that is and what companies need to do would be healthier overall and more sustainable. So um, that's the discussion that I'm, that I'm hoping to have across each of these areas. A similar thing around uh, data privacy. Europe has, has really led here with, with GDPR. I think it's a, um, it's, a, it's a good foundation that encodes a lot of important values around people being able to choose how their data is used and at the same time making sure that companies have the ability to, to use information for safety purposes. But it wasn't just on the question of companies and individual privacy that Zuckerberg had in his mind when talking about GDPR. He also found time to draw an unflattering comparison with Apple particularly and the way that it stores its own data and why GDPR was important there. GDPR is as important for my, for my view for what it doesn't do, which is uh, require companies to localize data and store citizens' data in a given country, which might be something that um, we can take for granted a little bit in a country like Ireland or, or back home in the U.S. where there's strong rule of law and good respect for human rights, but in a lot of the places that we operate around the world, um, those aren't a given. And uh, what we see is that there are some kind of competing visions for how the internet goes and, and what the future of that will be. And we see a, a lot of pressure in, in a number of countries um, to localize data in, in a way that, that could put people's uh, data more accessible to governments and, and in harm's way. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's almost inevitable at this point that uh, every country is going to want some kind of comprehensive privacy legislation and having as quickly as possible us move towards uh, having as many countries as possible adopt something like the GDPR framework as opposed to the alternative visions for the internet I think are going to be really important for um, for securing the, the data privacy future that we want and people's safety. One of the other issues that Mark Zuckerberg was trying to raise in Europe was his idea of data portability. Now, he may have an ulterior motive. He is trying to push for Facebook to be allowed to send messages between WhatsApp, Instagram and Facebook, something that the European Commission and the Irish Data Protection Commission isn't that hot on. But it is related to another uh, topic of data portability, the idea that you should be able to own uh, the data attached to a photo or any content from one service to another. And he spoke a little bit more about this here. The question about data portability is really an important one as well, where you know people, I think, broadly agree if you upload a photo to a service, you should be able to take that and bring it to another service. Um, but I think where a lot of the hard questions come in are the definition of what is your data and what's another person's, right? So within the context of Facebook, for example, um, you know, if your if your friends share with you what their birthday is, and you want to uh, bring some of that context to a calendar, uh, so that that way you can load it into your calendar app and can show you what your friends' birthdays are, um, there's a real question of is that information yours or your friends? Right? Is, is that, that information about, about that birthday yours or your friends to bring? And I think that that's not clear today. And uh, I think that that's an area where there's a clear trade-off between um, utility and, and, pe- and portability and openness and um, to some degree even competition of being able to bring data from one service to another. Um, and there's, 
I think, a need for there to be broader regulation and and um, not have all of those decisions just rest with private companies about what the line should be about where you do uh, privacy control versus um, openness and portability. So those are four areas where I, I, I think we could really use, uh, from, from all the work that, that we've done and what I've seen, I think we could use a, a broader debate and and um, people through democratic institutions weighing in on where we want the lines to be and where I think broadly people don't necessarily think that private companies by themselves should be making these decisions. And that was Mark Zuckerberg, chief executive and founder of Facebook. And that's all we have time for this week, folks. Please uh, do listen again this time next week. And thanks a million, as always, for downloading or streaming this podcast. From me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, bye-bye for now.